Welcome back to Certain Comfort in Uncertain Times. I look at the book of Revelation that we're recording during the COVID-19 crisis in 2020. After a several week break during our summer conference season here at America's Keswick, we're back today looking at sealed, suffering, and saved from Revelation chapter 7. One of the common ways to think about the church uh, throughout history has been to think of the church here on earth and the church in heaven, with the church on earth being referred to as the church militant and the church up in heaven being referred to as the church triumphant. In other words, the church here on earth is still engaged in the battle, still engaged in conflict, and the church in heaven has already received their victory. They are triumphant. And here in Revelation chapter 7, we really see John get a vision of both aspects of the church, both the church militant and the church triumphant. And so if you have your Bibles, please uh, follow along as I read Revelation chapter 7, and we'll read the entirety of the chapter. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, restraining the four winds of the earth, so that no wind could blow on the earth or on the sea or on any tree. Then I saw another angel rising up from the east, who had the seal of the living God. He cried out in a loud voice to the four angels who were allowed to harm the earth and the sea. Don't harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we seal the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed. 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the Israelites. 12,000 sealed from the tribe of Judah. 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben. 12,000 from the tribe of Gad, 12,000 from the tribe of Asher, 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 from the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 sealed from the tribe of Benjamin. After this, I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne, and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne, and along with the elders and the four living creatures, they fell face down before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, Who are these people in white robes and where did they come from? I said to them, Sir, you know. Then he told me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. 
The one seated on the throne will shelter them. They will no longer hunger. They will no longer thirst. The sun will no longer strike them, nor will any scorching heat. For the Lamb who is at the center of the throne will shepherd them. He will guide them to springs of the waters of life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Well, if you're just joining us for this session going through Revelation, one of our key convictions is that one of the wrong ways we read the book of Revelation is that we read it trying to figure out all of the different symbolism. And we look at our newspaper headlines and we try and equate the symbols that we see in Revelation with the things that we see in our news headlines in a one-to-one correspondence and try and figure out uh, what end times things we're seeing in our day and try and create charts and graphs and timelines and uh, figuring out who different people are and what different symbols are so that we can pinpoint the day of Christ's return. And I think that's a, a wrong way to read the book of Revelation. We're not supposed to constantly be looking for one-to-one correlations. We're not supposed to be coming up with charts and graphs and timelines and trying to pinpoint the exact date and time of Christ's return. Instead, we're supposed to be comforted by the fact that Christ is returning. We are supposed to be comforted uh, by the certainties in the book and not distracted by the uncertainties. And so, of course, this is one of those chapters, one of those passages where people become tempted to try and pinpoint uh, literal numbers and, and pinpoint who this group of people is exactly. And yet again, I think that misses the point. And so, uh, I'll say from the outset here that I think in general, the group of people in the first half of chapter 7 and the group of people in the second half of chapter 7 are the same group of people. And what you see here is similar to what happened back in chapter 5 where John was told to look at the Lion of Judah and John looked and behold, he saw a lamb. He saw a, a, one like a slaughtered lamb. And we see the same literary device occurring here in chapter 7. John hears of the sealed number. He hears of 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the Israelites. But when he goes to look at the 144,000 sealed, instead he sees a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language. And so both groups of people, the one in verses 1 through 8 and the other in verses 9 through 17 are the same group of people. It's just as John heard about the Lion of Judah and looked and saw the slaughtered lamb, here he hears about the 144,000 sealed and looks and sees a vast multitude. He hears about this finite number of sealed Israelites and looks and sees an innumerable, vast multitude of people from every nation, tribe, and language. And so what we see here really is believers, all believers. And I think we need to be careful. That's not to say that the church has replaced Israel. 
but rather what we see throughout the New Testament, that the church has been grafted in to Israel. And so now when John hears these Old Testament devices, when he hears these references to Old Testament things of the people of God, instead of looking and seeing just Israelites, he looks and sees people from every tribe, every language, every nation. And so that's who we see here in Revelation chapter 7. We see the church. What chapter 7 does is really answer the question that concluded chapter 6. And chapter 6 ends with uh, John hearing, And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of the one seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, because the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? And the answer to that question, who is able to stand, is chapter 7. These are the people who are able to stand. And so we see the church militant in the first half of the chapter and the church triumphant in the second half of the chapter. And so we'll have two points corresponding with each half. And our first point today is that believers are delivered from judgment, but called to combat. Believers are delivered from judgment, but called to combat. Chapter 7 opens up with four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, restraining the four winds of the earth so that no wind could blow on the earth or on the sea or on any tree. This is most likely not literal wind. If the literal wind was restrained, life on earth would likely cease as there would be no movement of air. And so this is likely a reference to judgment of God. Since there's four winds, this could possibly be another way of framing those four horsemen of the apocalypse that we saw earlier in chapter 6. And so what we see at chapter 7 is, is an interlude, but not quite an interlude. It's connected to what we saw in chapter 6. And yet, he's kind of letting us know what's going on with the church in chapter 7 as God's judgment falls on the earth in chapter 6. And so the, the judgment of God is restrained by these four angels so that the servants of God can be sealed on their foreheads. And so we see that the church is going to be delivered from judgment, not necessarily from suffering. Uh, we saw that earlier in chapter 6. Chapter 6 alludes to the fact that believers during the last days will uh, die from the very judgments uh, that are sent to judge the earth. And yet, uh, so their physical bodies may perish, and yet they are preserved from judgment. It is the, the final spiritual judgment of God that believers are protected from so that they can be sealed by the living God. And this seal is a reference to authentication and ownership. It is genuine believers who have the seal. But it's also those who have the seal and only those who have the seal belong to God. They are the servants of God. We see this uh, 
in other apocalyptic prophecies in Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 4 says, Pass throughout the city of Jerusalem, the Lord said to him, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the detestable practices committed in it. And so in other words, in a city where everyone would have claimed the name of the Lord, when everyone would have claimed to be a believer, when everyone would have claimed to be a member of God's people, God tells the cherub to go throughout the city and put a mark on the forehead of those who really are part of God's people, those who really do call on the name of the Lord, those who are taking his side and are appalled at the detestable practices being committed in them. But we also see this in the New Testament. Uh, for example, in 2 Timothy, as Paul is warning Timothy of threats to the church, and starting in verse 16 of 2 Timothy chapter 2, it says, Avoid irreverent and empty speech, since those who engage in it will produce even more godlessness, and their teaching will spread like gangrene. Hymenaeus and Philetus are among them. They have departed from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place and are ruining the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm. Bearing this inscription, the Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who calls on the name of the Lord turn away from wickedness. And so in 2 Timothy, just like in Ezekiel chapter 9, the seal is placed on those who are his. The Lord knows who are his. That throughout the church age, throughout the time period between the cross and the return, as suffering is occurring all throughout the earth, as God's judgments are poured out, on the earth as we are stuck in this cycle of God upending the power structures of our world so that his kingdom would come. There are going to be people, just as there were among Israel in the Old Testament, there are going to be people who appear to be part of the people of God or who claim to be part of the people of God. But the genuine people of God are sealed with God's name on their foreheads. And this is a, a reference to probably the seals that the priests wore on their foreheads back in the book of Exodus as they went to lead the people in worship in the temple. And so God puts the seal. God knows those who are his. And so the church is marked out by those not who have claimed God as their own, but who God has claimed as his own. Just as you see in the Old Testament, uh, referencing the Tower of Babylon and in Genesis 11, you get to Deuteronomy 32, and God divides the peoples of the earth among the sons of God, but he keeps Israel as his own portion. He keeps Israel for himself. And so we see as well in the church age, as this is laid out in Revelation chapter 7, that there are all the people of the earth, but the Lord knows those who are his. He has set out a people for himself, and he seals them with this seal on their foreheads. And so judgment is held back until those servants are sealed, and then those winds will be released. And so 
Uh, if those are a reference to the four horsemen, those four horsemen will go out and the sealed will experience it, and yet they will not experience the judgment. They will not suffer the spiritual judgment because they are sealed. Then John goes on to say that he heard the number of the sealed, and that number is 144,000, 12,000 from each tribe. The tribe of Dan is left out, um, and Manasseh, one of the sons of Joseph, is put in instead. Um, And of course, there are uh, many interpretations of Revelation that take this as a literal number, um, perhaps of ethnic Jews that will be sealed during some future tribulation. And yet, I I don't think that's what's going on here. I don't think this is a literal number, especially as we said before, that when John goes to look at the 144,000, he instead sees a vast multitude of people from every nation, tribe, people, and language. And so what instead you have here is a complete number. Um, And the emphasis is not so much on the number um, although the, the number is symbolic, it, it again is a complete number. It is God's people from every generation. It is the Old Testament saints. It is the, the New Testament saints. It is God's complete people. Um, and yet the way it's laid out is really like the censuses that they used to take during the Old Testament. The numbers and even the, the way the literal uh, devices that are used, the way it's laid out is very much reminiscent of in the Old Testament when we see Israelite numbering their people in order to go to war. And so I think that's what you see here. You see in verses 1 through 8, you see the church militant, God sealing his people to engage in warfare here on earth. And of course, this is not a physical warfare uh, as we've seen throughout the book of Revelation so far. Uh, Even when we see Jesus geared up for war, the sword proceeds from his mouth. The sword, as we see in Ephesians 6, is the word of God. And so what we see in verses 1 through 8 are the church, the church militant, the church called to combat. And of course, combat, even though this is not literal combat, we're not told to go slaughter our enemies. Um, Unfortunately, the church has not always understood this. Uh, whether it be the Crusades, uh, whether it be uh, Christian nationalist movements who have co-opted the name and the cross of Jesus Christ to wage physical warfare and inflict suffering and bloodshed on people. Uh, That's not what we see here, but of course all warfare, including spiritual warfare, will include suffering. And so we are, as the church militant, as the church living in this age between the cross and the return in these last days. We are preserved from spiritual judgment, but we are sent into spiritual combat. We are sent to wage war for the Lamb, not physical war, but we are called to wield His sword, which is the Word of God. We are called to make disciples of all nations. We are called to be loyal to the one who has sealed us, to the one who has placed His name on us and we see the church militant and so believers are delivered from judgment but we are called to combat we are not preserved from suffering we are not preserved from hardship instead we are sent out 
into a battlefield to stand against an enemy who wants nothing more than to defeat us. And yet that is not the where the book of Revelation, where Revelation 7 leaves us. We are not just the church militant. But again, as John turns to look at the church militant, he instead sees the church triumphant. And so our second point is that believers are destined for victory, but called to the cross. Believers are destined for victory, but called to the cross. In verse 9, John says, After this I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And so John looks to see the church militant, sees the church triumphant, vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language. No one could number them. And they're standing before the throne in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Both white robes and palm branches were symbolic of victory. And so here John sees the church victorious. He sees the church triumphant. He sees the church before the throne, before the Lamb, with symbols of victory, wearing the white robes, holding the palm branches. And they cry out in a loud voice in verse 10, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. And so they declare a song of victory. They sing a song of victory to the one who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, that salvation belongs to our God. And of course, this is as countercultural acclaim today in the 21st century in America as it was in Rome in the first century. And if we don't see it as countercultural, it shows how much we have succumbed to our own culture. Because the first century in Rome, to, to sing salvation belongs to our God, to the one who sits on, to the, on the throne and to the Lamb, is to sing that salvation does not belong to Rome. Salvation does not belong to Caesar. Salvation does not belong to the kingdoms of this world. Instead, it belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. And so, just as it was for the church in the first century, so it is for us to sing salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb is to sing that salvation does not belong to the United States of America. It does not belong to President Trump. It does not belong to the Republican Party, to the Democratic National Convention. It does not belong to our individual churches. It does not belong to our nonprofits. It doesn't belong to our own agendas. It doesn't belong to me. Salvation belongs only to our God, to the one who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And this is a song of victory and it's a song of loyalty. And that is, again, what the seal means. The seal is not just authentication, but also ownership. And we'll get to, to this later on when we talk about the mark of the beast. Uh, but of course, the COVID crisis has, has brought up all these suggestions that the, the mark of the beast might be something like a coronavirus vaccine um, or so, something else uh, that has come up as a possibility 
uh, during this crisis. And yet the mark of the beast is not something that we can take accidentally, just like the seal of God is not something that we're given accidentally. The seal, whichever seal we have, the seal of the beast or the seal of God, uh, is a seal of loyalty. It's a sign of loyalty. G.K. Beale says the divine seal and name empower the saints to remain loyal to Christ and not to compromise in the midst of pressures to do so by identifying with the idolatrous world system. They resist the harlot of chapter 17 and refuse the mark of the beast. Although the saints may suffer and even lose their physical lives, the seal protects them from losing their spiritual lives with God. This is why the seal is said to be of the living God, who imparts to them the eternal life which he alone possesses. This seal is one of loyalty and the song is one of loyalty. Those who are sealed by God sing that salvation belongs only to God. And then all the angels stood around the throne along with the elders and the four living creatures and they fell face down before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And again, we see the church joining in with all of creation, all of the created order ascribing to its creator the worth that he is due. And so we see the church triumphant. We see uh, believers destined for victory. This is our destiny. When John looks to see the 144,000 instead sees a vast multitude that no one can number from every tribe and language and nation, he is seeing us. He is seeing those who even in this crisis because they are sealed by the living God, sing that salvation belongs only to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. He is seeing the destiny of all believers, all those whose loyalty is to the one who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. But one of our temptations, again, when we hear that word victory, is to make it victory on our terms, to make it victory won by our weapons, to make it victory the way we want to define victory. And yet what we see here in Revelation chapter 7 is that the victory of the Lamb only comes through the Lamb. It only comes through the cross. And so just as we are delivered from judgment but called to combat, we are destined for victory but it, we are also called to the cross. The cross is the means of our victory. And we see that in verse 13 and following. Then one of the elders asked me, who are these people in white robes and where did they come from? I said to her, him, sir, you know. Then he told me these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. The church triumphant that John sees are those who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. They hold the symbols of victory, not because of their own victory, but because the victory won by the Lamb who was slaughtered on the cross. 
The cross is our means to victory. Those who are sealed by the living God are those who have come to the cross to be washed white in blood. And of course, the, that's supposed to sound contradictory because it is. So often we lay down spiritual weapons. We lay down the cross in order to pick up the weapons of this world because it seems contradictory that we can win any type of victory by way of the cross. We think that we need force and power. Uh, we need the ballot box. We need the Supreme Court. We need the White House. We need the United States military. We need all of these weapons. We need earthly power in order to conquer the world. And yet, we are told that victory only comes through the cross. We are told that spiritual victory can only come through spiritual weapons. And so we see the very image that we're given seems so contradictory. I am a prolific stainer. I can get stains on my clothes uh, without even trying. I drop food on myself all the time. I cannot eat in my dress clothes. And the, the few times where I have to eat in my dress clothes, I, uh, I basically have to wear a bib. I have to tuck a, a towel in my collar to make sure nothing spills. Um, and in fact, just a couple weeks ago, I uh, I had a, a, a lunch here at work and did not do that and ended up with spaghetti sauce all down the front of my shirt for the rest of the weekday. And so my wife over the years has become an expert in stain removal. She's had to so that we don't have to keep buying clothes. And yet never once when she's wanted to get the stain out of my clothes, has she washed it in a pool of blood. Uh, never once has she taken uh, a white pair of pants with a, a stain on them to red liquid to get the stain out. And so this image is supposed to, to be contradictory because that's the point. We are only washed white in the blood of the lamb. We only experience victory through the uh, apparent defeat of the cross. And so we are called to the cross, of course, for our salvation. We are called to the cross because that's the only way that we are preserved from judgment. That is the only way that we experience full and final victory, that we are numbered among the multitude in verse 9. And yet, there are hints throughout this chapter, along with other chapters in Revelation, uh, back in chapter 6, including chapters moving forward, where we see that it is not just that we come to the cross for our victory, our ultimate victory, but really our lifestyle is supposed to be the lifestyle of the cross. That our lives are supposed to be characterized by the cross of Jesus Christ. And you see that in the remainder of the chapter in verses 15 through 17, the promise given to these believers uh, what John sees as being true the, of these people who washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. He says, For this reason they are before the throne of God, and they serve Him day and night in His temple. The one seated on the throne will shelter them. They will no longer hunger. They will no longer thirst. The sun will no longer strike them, nor will any scorching heat. For the Lamb who is at the center of the throne will shepherd them. He will guide them to springs of the waters of life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. 
And of course, the implication is that the one on the throne will shelter them because here on earth we have no shelter. We will no longer hunger, but here on earth we do hunger. We will no longer thirst, but here on earth we do thirst. The sun will no longer strike us, nor will we experience any scorching heat because here on earth we do experience scorching heat. And he will wipe away every tear from our eyes because here in this life we have plenty of tears that we shed. And you even see this reference that the lamb will shepherd them. And again, not only is that the the contradictory image of the lamb now is the shepherd, um, that is also the pathway. He, He is leading us. So as we follow our shepherd, we follow his path, which is the path of the cross. But of course, for many of us, our minds are drawn back to Psalm 23, where we are told that though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil. Here in this life, we do walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The promise is not that we are saved from that. In fact, the promise is that we will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That will be our experience. Our experience on earth will be one of homelessness and hunger and thirst and heat and tears. And we, in 21st century America, can forget that because our lives can be pretty comfortable until something like COVID-19 hits and all of a sudden our lives are not so comfortable. And that's why we're looking at Revelation during this crisis because the promise is not that we can avoid all of those things, but even in the midst of those things, Jesus Christ is our hope. That yes, we are destined for victory, but that victory comes by means of the cross. Our ultimate victory is is by means of the cross because we trust in the cross. We appropriate it for ourselves. We know that Jesus Christ's blood shed on the cross is the only sacrifice that can take away our sins. But the cross is also the means of our sanctification and not just our justification. We are sanctified as we, as Jesus said, deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him daily. That as we experience the cross, even as Jesus did, we also experience his resurrection life, partially now in one day in full. And so we are delivered from judgment. We are called to combat and so, brothers and sisters, I, w- I ask you, what is the battle that you are in today where God is calling you to be loyal to him, to strike with his word, the, the, his sword, the word of God? Where are you engaged in the conflict of spiritual warfare? But then we are destined for victory, but called to the cross. So where in your life today are you experiencing the cross, because that is where you will experience the newness of life. And so brothers and sisters, whatever you are experiencing today, this week, during this season of life, whether you are experiencing this, the suffering that has accompanied COVID-19, uh, whether that's physical suffering, your health is failing, or that, whether that's economic suffering uh, due to the economic fallout, of the pandemic, or whether you are experiencing just the the everyday suffering of a believer during the church age, 
uh, the tribulation that accompanies being a follower of Christ, a sinner living in a sinful world. Whatever you are experiencing, chapter 7 of Revelation gives us the glimpse that, yes, we are enlisted today in the army of God. Yes, we are called into the combat and we are experiencing the affliction of that combat. But one day we will join in the multitude of every nation, tribe, people, and language that no one can number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white with palm branches in our hands, holding the symbols of our victory and singing a song of victory, that salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you'll turn back next week where we will start in Revelation chapter 8.